Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. Super excited to launch this mental health facility to care for people. Thank you for your patience. You're going to hear more coming up. We'd love to invite you to come and walk through. We're going to be doing some open houses where you as a church family, because you've been so prayerful and generous to make this happen, we'd love for you to just come and check it out and see it. So watch for that coming up soon and really appreciate your prayers. We really want people in the valley to be healthy mentally and to flourish. And so please pray for us as we keep moving forward with that and thank you. We started last week a new sermon series called Like Jesus, and we talked about how all of us are on a journey spiritually, and you might be in a different spot along this spectrum. There are people right here right now that are anti-Jesus. Like, you just have a reason to be against him, and there's a reason why you want nothing to do with him. Somehow you found your way here. We're glad you're here. Some are just curious They're asking questions, they're thinking, they want to understand what is the Bible, what is Christianity, who is Jesus. Some admire Jesus and kind of look at Jesus and go, wow, he does some really cool things. I'm kind of curious, which is different than following. It's different than following. I wonder if you remember this acronym, WWJD. You know what that stands for, anyone? What would Jesus do, right? And so I think it's a great question. I think a lot of people who are curious about Jesus go, what did Jesus do in his background that he got to this situation and circumstance where people follow him? It's a curious question. I think people that answer that question, what would Jesus do? It's easy to admire what he did and go, when? I admire what Jesus did. Those who follow Jesus, though, move beyond just asking the question, what would Jesus do? They maybe add another thing called N-D-I. What would Jesus do? Now do it, follower. I mean, let's start a new campaign, right? W-W-J-D-N-I, I don't know. I'm not good with letters. You know that, right? But like the point of following Jesus isn't just asking the question, what would Jesus do? It's asking that question and moving beyond that question to actually doing what he does. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And so when you look at Jesus and you see what he does throughout his life, he does two things over and over and over and over again. He prays and he serves. And his service leads to prayer and his prayer leads to service. And it's this circle that's connected together so that the entire New Testament would say that followers of Jesus pray and serve like him. That's what it means to follow him, that we look at what he does and we do it. It isn't just sort of a spectator sport. Wow, look at Patrick Mahomes throw a football. It's like, no, I'm getting on the field and I am doing what he does. What would he do? Now I start to do it with his help. And it's interesting This whole idea of praying and serving are intricately connected in the life of Jesus. So you watch Jesus in the Gospels, and he's constantly interacting with God the Father. He's talking to God, he's listening to God, he's spending alone time with God, and that time alone with God encourages, pushes, fosters him out to serve people. So vertically, Jesus is talking, interacting with God, and horizontally, he starts to serve people. Is there any people that Jesus wouldn't serve? 
The answer is no. And so he's interacting God. He has a heart for God. He has a heart for people. He serves everyone. So as he's praying and talking to God, he's being led into service for people. But you know, people are whack. Serving people is difficult. It's hard. It's frustrating. It's annoying. It's stressful. It's dirty. It's messy. And the more you serve people with the heart of God, the more you got to talk to God and go, I can't do this. They smell, I don't like them, they're from a different this, they're from a different that, right? It's like the more I interact with God, the more it fuels me to serve people of every different background and type. The more I interact with people from every different background and type, the more I gotta go back to God and go, I can't do this, I don't like that person, I'm tired, I'm stressed, I'm difficult. It's this cycle of I'm interacting with God and I love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, which means I start loving people and the more I love people, the more frustrated I get with people, so the more I talk to God because I can't do it by myself. I pray and I serve, and it's intricately connected in the life of Christ, and it's intended to be intimately collected with those who follow Jesus. So when I talk to people, I don't know, I talk to a bunch of people. When I talk to people who follow Jesus, some people go, I love to pray. So one of my questions to my friends who love to pray is, do you serve as much as you pray? And then I talk to Christians that go, I love to serve. And my question is, do you pray as much as you serve? Because if you're praying and you're not serving, you're not living like Jesus. And if you're serving and you're not praying, you're not living like Jesus. They're intimately connected in the heart and mind of God, and we're to put this into practice with his help. It's what we do as those who say we follow. So today we're going to look at a very familiar passage, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 4. It's in the middle of your Bible, first gospel, Matthew chapter four, electronic copy, paper copy, really glad you're joining us online. However you roll, love for you to follow along. So the scene that we're gonna look at today is pretty well known. It's at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Jesus lived a relatively obscure life for the first 30 years he was on planet earth. Pretty quiet, right? He loved God with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind and loved his neighbor as himself and he was a carpenter. John the Baptist shows up on the scene and starts to preach Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. And John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, now look, there's the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. And Jesus, because he's like us in every way, but without sin, Jesus actually gets baptized by John, not because he was sinful, but so that he could identify us in every way, just without sin. And after his baptism, we catch this scene in Matthew chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift up you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give to you, the devil said, and if you will bow down and worship me, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. This is God's word. 
Would you pray with me? Father, as we open up your word today, remind us that you love us, that you're for us and not against us. Would you remove distractions and anything that would hinder us from hearing from you? You're so kind that you want to interact with those you made. And you want us to learn and grow and to trust you by faith. Lord, would you help people to see beyond Joe Hensler to you? God, I help, help, please help me not to say anything I shouldn't say or do anything that would not represent you well to the end that we would see Jesus and become like him. This is our goal as a family today. In Jesus' name, amen. This scene is interesting because Jesus is just about to start his earthly ministry. He just was baptized. He's about to start his ministry. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came to him. Then he goes through this whole test. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. And this entire scene kind of sets up this cosmic battle, right? Of like good versus evil, Superman versus Satan, right? It's set up for us like this cosmic battle. And as you read it, you go, wow, Jesus wins the battle. And Jesus, when you look at his life, he's going to go on to win battle after battle after battle after battle, all to the epic battle, right? Of he's going to be arrested. He's going to be tortured. He's going to be nailed to a cross. He's going to be placed in a grave, and it looks like evil wins, but three days he comes out of the grave alive. Let's go, right? Like super awesome. He's victorious over every aspect, including death, and secures for us in that all those who trust him by faith, secures forgiveness before a holy God, adoption into the family of God, right? This is an incredible victory, a snapshot of Jesus. This is the beginning of the battle scene, but it goes all the way to the end, and there'll be a day when he wins all things, right, and makes all things right. And so in it, absolutely in the scene, we see a snapshot of Jesus Messiah, right? The one who comes, he's fulfilling all the prophecies of God. We see that Jesus is the perfect spotless lamb of God who has been tempted like us in every way but has never sinned and secures for us something so incredible, adoption into the family of God, not by anything that we do, but by faith alone and grace alone and Christ alone, right? And that's worth worshiping and celebrating and trusting and believing. And it's incredibly beautiful. And if you don't know that story, I'd love to tell you more about it. And someone at guest services would love to tell you more about it. This scene sets all of that up but for the follower of Christ, we don't just stop by worshiping Jesus for all that he's done and putting our trust in him for all that he's going to do. We look at this scene and go, I can do that too. It's there for us not to just worship him, not to just believe in him. Yes, yes, yes. Worship, believe, put your trust in the one who can do this. But for the follower of Christ, we look at this scene and go, I want to be like Jesus because I'm facing temptation. And how did he do it? I want to do that too. And so when you slow down and look at the scene, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, right? He was just baptized. He's on a spiritual high, and he's about to go do ministry, where it's going to be incredibly hard. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. Who led him? The Spirit. Who's the Spirit? The Spirit of God led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
This is so easy to see this simply as the son of God, Superman, has this battle against Satan and to stop there instead of realizing actually this word tempted is also translated tested. He's just went through his incredible baptism where he hears God says, I love you, son. And he's about to go do ministry, which is going to be further, harder, much harder than his test in the wilderness And God himself leads his son into the wilderness to be tested by Satan. Do you know what the MCATs are or the LSATs? I mean, some of the most difficult exams humans can go through, right? So people prepare for the LSAT or the MCAT for their entire lives. And if you don't pass the MCATs, you can't become a doctor. If you don't pass the LSATs, you can't become a lawyer. If Jesus doesn't pass this wilderness test, he cannot be the suffering servant that's been promised to us by God. And so God leads him into the wilderness before he starts his ministry to test him, and Jesus passes the test. The question becomes, how did he pass the test? Well, the obvious answer is, he's God right? He's God. So of course he passes the test, but we forget that he is God and man. And that's incredibly hard to get our minds around, right? Like, what does that mean? That he's fully God and fully man. And what we tend to do with a passage like Matthew chapter four is we think the way he passed this test is because he's Superman. Of course he passed the test, but I would submit to you what the Bible actually teaches is it's not because he's God, but because he's man that he passes the test. So you go, wait, wait, what do you mean? How how did he do that, right? He's a man. Let's slow down and look at his life, right? Let's look at his life. And so we go back to the beginning of his life in Luke chapter two, just after Jesus was born. Actually, let's let's hit this first. Uh, Best verses that can explain this is Philippians chapter two, says Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. We fast forward over this, but I want you to stop and see. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He did not, when he came to earth, play his God card. He did not go, well, I'm here on earth. Like we think Jesus was born and he like, he automatically came out of the womb and he's talking, teaching, popping a cola, drinking it. Like he's fully like awake, teaching, doing all kinds. No, he voluntarily set aside the expression of his divine attributes and wrapped himself in skin so that he shows up on planet earth and he is fully man. He's a person. He's setting aside these ashes. So when he goes into his wilderness test, he doesn't use his God. He's a man. And we look again in Luke chapter two. Let's look at how do we get here? How do we get here? Right after he's born, eight days later, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of our God was on him. And so this is buried, this set of verses is buried in the Advent story, like in the birth of Christ. And so sometimes, because we get so all Christmassy, we lose sight of the fact that, and the child grew and became strong? 
Like, what? Jesus had to learn how to eat? He had to learn how to walk? He had to learn how to talk? He had to learn how to use the bathroom? He had to learn how to read and how to write? He had to learn, and he grew. His physical body grew, his mental, emotional, every part of him grew, including his spiritual life. It all grew because he was like us in every way. So you, this other scene in Luke chapter two is helpful for me. So Jesus was a normal teenager and in his Jewish custom, his family would go up to Jerusalem once a year to celebrate Passover and it was like a big family thing. They would leave Nazareth and they would walk up to Jerusalem. They would celebrate the Passover together and then they would leave Jerusalem and come back to Nazareth together. It was a big party. Jesus in this scene in Luke chapter two is old enough to have some independence and so we read that he's left behind. Right, his family heads back to Nazareth and they're like, where's Jesus? Check this scene out. After three days, they find him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. I mean, this is a teenage passage. Three days, he's missing. And like most teenagers, he's not playing Fortnite. Like he's not stuck in the basement doing something. He, you know, kids are at football practice or dance recital. Jesus is sitting, learning and listening at the temple. For Jesus to go up to Jerusalem to the temple was like Super Bowl, right? They go up there because you got to understand this. In Jesus's time, they don't have their own Bibles. So you have a copy of your Bible in your phone. You have a copy of your Bible in your nightstand. You can read your Bible before you go to bed. You can read your Bible at night. You can read your Bible anytime, day or night. Jesus doesn't have a copy of the Bible. A copy of the Bible is at the temple and at the synagogue. So he has to go to these places to hear God's word and learn and understand what God is teaching. And so he goes up to Jerusalem. It's like a Super Bowl. And he gets caught up for three days. He's up there hanging out, asking questions and learning because I got to learn, I got to learn, I got to learn. His family leaves and they're like, where the heck is Jesus? A couple days later, they find him. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying. And this again, classic teenage story. Can't you see yourself in this? Teens got something on their mind that they're going to do. Parents are like, what the heck are you doing, right? And this is Jesus. His parents are like, what the heck are you doing? And Jesus is like, what the heck do you mean? And I had to be there because I wanted to learn and grow. And I wanted to be with God and I wanted to hear from him. And I wanted to learn and understand God's word. And his parents are like, what the heck? Look what happens next. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was, what? The God of the universe is obedient to sinful parents who don't understand their son? Like what? His mother treasured up all these things in her heart and Jesus did what? Grew. He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is Jesus, like fully God, fully man, growing, learning, learning to obey parents who don't understand him, learning to obey sinful parents, honoring them, despite the fact that they don't understand him. He's growing as a human, and all of these things prepare him for tests. Luke chapter 5, one more little scene 
that helps me understand how Jesus prepared for tests. Luke chapter five says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And the language of this, and you see it throughout his ministry, the language of this is like, this is his pattern. This is a lifestyle thing. He regularly gets away from whatever he's doing to talk to his dad, his father in heaven. He regularly gets alone. And when he's alone, he's not alone. He's with his father, right? And he's talking to his father and he's listening to his father. When everything's kind of chaotic, Jesus is like, I'm going to lonely places to be by myself. I think he did that while he was a teenager, while he was a young adult, while he was a carpenter. Now, while he's a leader in ministry, he's retreating to lonely places to spend time with God. And all of these things prepare Jesus for the test he's about to take. Jesus deliberately, deliberately pursued learning God's word and talking to God. And this is so important. He learned God's word. He, when he came to earth, Jesus voluntarily set aside the understanding of God's word and had to learn it, to know it. And he doesn't have a paper copy of the Bible, which means he had to go and listen, learn how to read and hear people sing it so he could memorize it and grow and learn it like any human He learned it and brought it into himself and he interacted with his father. So when he had difficult days, he would talk to his dad by himself. When he was confused and he wasn't sure what to do, he would withdraw to lonely places to spend time with his father. When he had to make tough decisions, he would withdraw to lonely places to talk to his father. You even have scenes in the New Testament where he would, with his small group, get alone with God and they would sing and talk to God together. This was his regular practice of learning God's word and talking to him, which prepared him for a test that his father lovingly gave. God lovingly tested Jesus to prepare him to serve. It was not God's trying to get him it's God loving him. And we somehow, we can, maybe we don't even realize we do it, but we look at the temptation test in the wilderness and we think it says, and the devil led Jesus into temptation instead of saying, no, it was God who led him into temptation. And we think it's like, oh, he's kind of cornered, right? And someone's hanging a spicy chicken sandwich in front of him. And Jesus is like, no, no, I don't want that. Like, That's not it. It's God saying, you're about to go into an incredible ministry that's going to be so much harder than what you're experiencing. So I lovingly want to prepare you for your ministry of service. I'm going to lead you into a test and you have prepared your whole life for. You haven't used your God card yet. And so now I'm lovingly going to test you to stretch and build your muscles And here's what I find fascinating. Did God know that Jesus was going to pass the test? The answer is yes. God knew. Did Jesus know he was going to pass the test? See, Jesus, we see in the New Testament, we see Jesus, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, questioning, doubting, struggling with his assignment, with his calling, right? He's like you and me. He's got this assignment, and I think in his time alone with God, God made it clear to him, you're going to have to suffer for me. You're going to have to die for me. And Jesus is going, how can I do that? I'm not possible. It's not. And God's like, I want to test you because I know you can do it, but I want to show you through testing that you are able to fulfill the calling I have given you to serve. And the test wasn't for God, the test was for Jesus to grow and stretch and see he could handle whatever was going to come his way. And God will lovingly test his children. If you say, I'm not just curious about Jesus, 
I'm glad you're here. If you're not just like, I admire Jesus, I'm glad you're here if you admire Jesus. If you're saying today, I follow Jesus, then I have to be clear, you're signing up to be lovingly tested by God because he loves you so much and has things for you to do in serving people, in advancing our father's family business, serving people. He's going to lovingly test you just like he did Jesus. And that doesn't have to make you anxious. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us no temptation has overcome you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. Even when you're not, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Each of these words could also be translated tested. God is lovingly bringing you into tests. He is going to be faithful. He's not trying to spring things on you to catch you. Hang Chick-fil-A in front of you. Don't eat it. Like That's not God. He's testing you to grow your faith. And he says, I'm going to be faithful. I'm not putting like pop quizzes in front of you to scare you or to shame you. It's because I love you and I want your faith to grow. I want to build you to be the person, the son and daughter you were made to be and advance the kingdom of God. And you'll be able to handle with my help any test I bring your way so that you know in the deepest parts of who you are that you can stand and serve and love and the power of the Spirit of God. So test will come, Christ follower. And are you prepared? Right? And so sometimes what we do is we ignore tests. We go, ah, no, we're not going to have a test. Ah, she's not going to give us a test. He's not going to give us a test. God's not going to test us. Ignore, ignore, ignore. Or we minimize. Like, I'll be ready. I'm good. Right? How many times did you go into a test at school? Like, I'm good. And you were not good. Right? But you convinced yourself that you were good right? But you're not. You were not good. Or you cram, right? It's like, you got to cram. You got to cram. You start to sense in your life that the things are starting to happen and there's starting to be some tension, some test from God. And so what do you do? I mean, you haven't prayed in weeks or months or years, but all of a sudden, boy, you're praying like a banshee. You haven't come to church in weeks or months or years. Man, you won't miss. You'll come all three services. I'll come to seven services, right? Right? You haven't, you haven't opened your Bible ever or weeks or months or years, but you're starting to sense something's going on. And so you're like, well, where does it say? Where does it say? Where does it say, right? And I'm not shaming you for that, right? Because we all do it. We all do this. We all cram when we start to feel things, right? We all do it. But is that the way you're supposed to live? And my answer to that is you don't have to live cramming. Jesus passed the test because Jesus prepared for the test, And it's so interesting, in the wilderness scene, the tempter tempts him with all this stuff, and every answer that Jesus gives is from the book of Deuteronomy. And I think Jesus must have been having a Bible study in the book of Deuteronomy, because when these tests come, he's just spitting out, test one, Deuteronomy. Test two, Deuteronomy. Test three, Deuteronomy. Because he's His mind is in the book of Deuteronomy and he's studying it. And so he's not using his God card to pull out of anything. He's coming out as a human and going, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy. Because he was prepared. And so can you. You can be prepared too. You prepare for a test by praying. It's just you start talking. 
start talking to God. It's not a religion. It's a relationship where we talk to God and we listen to God. And everybody gets kind of nervous about praying because praying is kind of weird, right? It's like, who am I talking to? Like, are you there? I, right? So we've all been there. We're like, this is kind of weird. God commands us to pray. And he says, this is the vehicle I'm going to use. So pray. And you don't have to, like, there's this, all these thinking, like, you could pray right, you could pray wrong. Maybe think about prayer like coloring. When my sons, I have three sons, when they were little and they brought me a picture of an orange cow with 14 legs, did I go, you know, son, cows aren't orange, and you got to subtract 10 legs, and then I'll accept your coloring picture. Somehow we've convinced ourselves that God wants everything to be perfect. You better have the cow perfectly driven, or you better draw it perfectly with the right amount of legs, and then I'll accept it. And so we were like, I don't know how to pray. He doesn't want it to be good. If it's not good enough, he's not going to listen. So then we just don't draw him a picture. And he's a father who goes, just bring me everything. Bring me your prayers. Bring me your thoughts. Bring me your fears. Bring me your doubts. Don't think you're going to get it right. I'm not going to correct you. I'm not going to be like, oh, I just want you to come and talk to me. I want you to share your heart with me. I want you to listen to me with whatever you got. Bring it to me, and I'm going to accept and hear your prayers because I love you. Come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden, talk to me, and I'll talk to you. Come to me in Jesus' name. As a follower of Christ, stop thinking about it. Start praying and talking to him and Oh, by the way, maybe shut up a long, a long enough time to actually listen. So many times I'm just bringing all my requests. I need this and I need this and can you fix this and I fix that. When was the last time you praised him? When was the last time you shut up with your list of things that you need and want and expect and just listen to him? Because he wants to talk to you. And so as a church family, kind of growing in this, I invite you to come to our prayer night this week. Next week, some really great teaching on prayer. I hope it'll bless you. It's like, just start doing it. You prepare for tests by knowing God's heart through God's words. So I, I don't know, just stop for a minute and think, when we hear the Bible, we automatically all have an association with what we think the Bible is. Can I just like simplify it? God is the creator and the sustainer of the universe, and he authored a book for you to know his heart and mind. Stop overthinking this. The creator wants you to know who he is so that you can trust him and love him and follow him. Man, you get, a, you get an email from an old college buddy, you're super excited to open it up. You get a love letter from the girl you like in college, love letter. That doesn't happen. A little text or something on Snap. <laughs> and you're super excited. The one who made you, who holds all things together, who loves you enough to die for you, to redeem you, to make all things right, wants you to know him. And so these words are captured for you and me to know his heart. Yes, we want to grow in our knowledge of who God is, but our knowledge is not for the sake of intellect. Every bit of knowledge is to lead us to love. We grow in our knowledge of God so that we can grow in our love for God. If you grow in your knowledge, but you don't grow in your love, you're not studying the Bible. You're not open to faith. I can study Huckleberry Finn to grow knowledge of Mark Twain, but this is not the Bible. The Bible is I know the heart of God so I can love 
the heart of God and know the heart of God so that when I'm squeezed in a test, I know his heart. Jesus didn't spit out Deuteronomy to impress anybody about what he knew. He spit out Deuteronomy because he loved the heart of his father and he wanted to walk and honor his father and he chose his father over anything else but him. So WWJDNID or whatever. <laughs> what would Jesus do? Now do it. If you say you're a follower, like just, just do it. And with his help, you can, right? And so here's the thing. Tests are gonna come. There's going to be some pop quizzes. Some of you are going to face incredible exams, and maybe you're in the middle of an incredible exam right now. What do you do? It's like, God, help me. God, strengthen me. I know your heart. You're not doing this because you're trying to shame me or hurt me or cause me to slip or fall. You're putting me in this test season to grow me and to stretch me so that I can learn to serve people like you. And so when these tests come and it feels like really hard, God, I trust your heart and you promise to be with me. And when I count on you, I'm gonna make it through this. But do you cram for tests or you just choose to prepare for tests? I just encourage you. Maybe you've been a lifestyle of cramming, ignoring, minimizing. Just take a step towards, no, I'm gonna start talking to God more often. I'm gonna open up his word and read. He loves us even when we minimize, ignore, and cram. But man, what a better thing to prepare because Jesus said, the greatest among you are going to be servants and the first among you is going to be a slave to all. How the heck is that gonna happen? As I interact with God and talk to him, as I know his heart and mind, I start to serve other people. It gets really hard and messy, so I start to talk to him again, and the cycle happens, and I can grow more and more and more like him. The test will come, my friends. The test will come. Are you ready? Would you pray with me? Thanks, Father, for loving us enough to want to stretch our faith, to grow us, that we might be more like you and we might serve more people. Jesus is our great victor. He won the battle for us and he will win the battle in the days ahead and make all things right and new. And he is preparing a family. The Bible calls it a beautiful bride without spot or blemish. He's preparing a family that looks like him. So may we worship you. May we admire you. May we look up to you. May we ask the question, what would you do? But give us the courage and the strength to do it. Start praying, to start talking, to start obeying, to start listening, to shut up long enough to hear from you that we might be more like you and serve more people. This is our great prayer. We need your help. We can't do this on our own. We thank you for your example. In Jesus' name, amen.